You know, when you, go to, um, when you go to a foreign country, your eyes are kind of open up. You see the world in a little bit of a different way. You come home and see things in a new, in a new way also. And we know that there are a lot of things going on in our country right now. And they are a source of concern to many of you, a source of fear to others of you, a source of anxiety. We know all of these things are going on. We look around, we feel helpless. We can't do anything about this, but that's not true. We can pray. That's still our strongest weapon. It's been said that uh, powers shake when someone goes to their knees. I believe that with all my heart, that, that prayer changes things. And prayer also changes the people who pray. And that's you this morning. If you were to watch TV news or read the New York Times or the Washington Post and listen to some of the Hollywood personalities and other cultural icons, you might conclude that there is very, very little good about America and that patriotism is dead. Now, I've titled this, this sermon this morning in part because last week was a Memorial Day and I was in Italy. Should Christians be patriotic? Believe it or not, a lot of Christians wrestle with those issues about how much involvement and do we keep our head in a hole in the sand or do we do something? So I'd like to share some of those things with you this morning. First, I like definition. What is patriotism? And patriotism is, quote, allegiance to and love of country. A patriot is one who, who loves, supports, and defends his country. Uh, people say, well, is that, is that biblical? All I can tell you is this, that while they were in captivity in Babylon, the psalmist writes these words in Psalm 137, verse 6. And he says, if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I forget or fail to make Jerusalem my greatest joy. And this is an expression of the great love the psalmist had for his native land and his native city. Jesus loved Jerusalem. He loved, he loved Israel as a nation. He cried over, he wept over the people of, of, of Israel and Jerusalem because he saw how far away from Jehovah they had drifted. And he, he wanted more than anything, he said, to, to take them under his wing, to, to just go down and give them all a big hug and say, come on home. Love for country. So here's some questions we're going to try to answer this morning. Can or should Christians be patriotic? Does love of country mean you're always going to agree with your fellow citizens or with government policies? What role does dissent play in politics? These are thorny issues. These are important issues. These are issues in our life right now that we have to deal with. One account that touches on some of these questions is found in the book of Daniel. It's a wonderful book to study. And here's a background. Jerusalem, 605 BC, is taken over by Nebuchadnezzar. He's moved right in and he's taking over the whole place. He's plundered the temple. He's taken captive many of the Jewish royalty and nobility, including some names you might know. Daniel, you know that name? Well, they've snatched Daniel, and they've snatched three other guys, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Anybody know them by the Babylonian name? Come on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are there. Uh, after they've been captive for a little while, the four were selected for service in the royal court. It's not long before David has risen to the place where he's like the second most important and powerful person 
in Babylon. Why? Because he was living out his testimony. He was not just talking about Jehovah. He was worshiping Jehovah. And he was living his life and doing his work to such a degree of excellence in conformity with the, law, the laws of God that people saw it. And when they saw his work ethic by virtue of the fact that I, I presume he can only turn to Nebuchadnezzar and say, you may sign my checks, but I work for Jehovah. All of us need to have that kind of a sense of work ethic. I don't work. When I was in business, I would often tell my boss, I, I, I don't work for you. My boss is Jesus Christ. His standards for me are a lot higher than your standards for me will ever be. And if I work to please him, you'll never be displeased with me. We need to have that kind of a work ethic, all of us. Their loyalty to king and, and country were going to be tested. And I want to share the story with you. It's found in Daniel chapter, beginning in Jan, Daniel chapter 2, verse 49, and going to Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. It'll be up there on PowerPoint if you can read it. So listen to this part of the account. When Daniel requested the king and set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So this is where they've gotten into places of power. Chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of this image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. 124 foot high, 12 foot wide. You know, we went to see Michelangelo's David. And I'm looking up at this guy's head. He's only 17 foot high. And still I'm looking up like he's towering over me. Can you imagine 127 feet close to that? Then the princes, verse 3, the governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Then a herald cried out, loud, to you is commanded peoples, nations, and languages that what time you hear the sound of cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall that same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, all kinds of music, all the people of the nations and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar the king. Verse 8, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said unto the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of those instruments, verse 11, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province, Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the coronet, etc., and you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fire, burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, it be known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now these guys are active in the government. They're highly placed. In good conscience, they've supported the system. They've They've listened to and they've endorsed its edicts. In the course of day-to-day -day events, they were able to work through areas of disagreement with the politics of the day. But a line was crossed. And that line was crossed when the king put himself over God. We have people in politics who feel like that. That we have to listen to them. And that anything they say is gospel. I only know one gospel, folks. I only believe one book. I only have one authority. When I say something which contradicts this book, I'm wrong. Amen. Louder. Yeah, keep reminding me, all right? When we contradict the book, it's the book that's contradicting us. We're not God. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in response? Did they protest? Did they cut people's heads off? Did they go to a lawyer and get lawsuits going? Did they appeal to the courts? Did they have civil disruptions? Did they, uh, they leak information and secrets to the Babylonian times? Their response, was, their response was passive resistance. Passive resistance. They took their stand, verse 16 says, they were willing to quietly pay the price for their resistance. They were not willing to kill for their convictions, but they were willing to die for their convictions. Sounds kind of foreign to our ears, that question, are you willing to live for your convictions in Christ? Are you willing to die for your convictions of Christ? But we're not willing to kill for it. They had no interest in bringing down the government. They relinquished their political rights and placed themselves in God's hands. And what was the outcome? Well, if you turn the page in your Bible, or look up here on PowerPoint, I want to read verses 19 to 30, a very exciting part of this narrative. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. He's really ticked. And the form of his vision, his face changed. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Okay, I got it up to 500. Let me, <laughs> whoa. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind them and to cast them into the burning fire of furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats with leggings, hosen, and their hats and other garments and were cast into the midst of a burning fire of furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
These guys were leading them to their destruction. Meanwhile, they were being burned alive. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Fini? The end? No. Not, not period, not exclamation point, comma. Verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, rose up in haste, and spake and said to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into those midst of the fire? And they answered, the king, true, O king. He answered and said, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I wonder why. The answer is because it was. Jesus, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you get into a fiery pit and nobody could survive, you get into fiery pits from time to time in your life. You get into hot situations and desperate situations and situations that you feel you're going to be, you're going to be smothered, you're going to be crushed, you're going to be plummeted to death, that this thing is bigger than you, not bigger than your God. Not bigger than your God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, listen to this boy changing his tune. Come forth, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. The princes, governors, captains, counselors gathered together, saw these men, upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire passed on them. Do you believe it? If you don't believe that, what are you going to believe? If you don't believe that, are you going to believe Genesis 1? Are you going to be Revelation 21? I mean, I believe every word of it. How could that possibly happen? No such thing can happen in the natural. You're right. But it can happen in the supernatural. Can't God cover a person in the midst of a 500 or 600 degree fire and preserve them and protect them, if that's what God wants to do, who are we to say no? Therefore, I make a decree that every nation, every people, nation, language, speak against anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Huh. Amazing. I'm bewildered by those in our country who can find no good news in America or believe our country is the source of evil in the world. The fact is, and this is a fact lost on most folks, that our country is the most charitable nation in the world. We give to charities over 250 $50 billion a year. It's been said, when the world cries, America dries their tears. When the world cries, America dries their tears. The Bible outlines the Christian's response to the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects in any country. Christians must, and here are four, number one, pray for the country. 1 Timothy 2, 2, verses 1 and 2, I exhort, therefore, the first of all supplications, prayer and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. All that are in authority. 
As many as the press, as many in the press and the media and the country blame the president for everything, how many pray for him? There was a, when I was a young man, there was a woman named Madeline Murray O'Hare. Anybody, you know that name? She was like one of the, the crown queen of atheism. And she was uh, debating on WOR radio one night with a man named Jack Wurtzen, a man I loved very much. And uh, she said, uh, Jack, have you ever prayed for me? Jack said, no. She said, shouldn't you? He said, yes, I should pray for you. And he told that he'd been praying for her. Do you know her son became a believer? Didn't work on mom, but the son got saved. We are Christians. We should pray for any president, anybody in power, whether a Democrat or whether a Republican. And if you're on either side of that, uh, that uh, spectrum, it'll be hard. Number two, Christians must stay balanced. Titus 2.15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Now, it's not talking about the government, not talking about government in principle. We can apply this verse this way, that we should not be afraid to speak. We must not be afraid to speak. We can get out and vote. We can get out and march peacefully for what we believe, and we can write our representatives. You have a voice. You have a voice. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you have a voice, but I know somebody in our congregation sitting here this morning who used to use her voice to write to the Democrat. And she used to get a lot of responses from that. My brother wrote to a, to a paper in, in Michigan things that disturbed him, and he got very positive feedback. He also got some terrible feedback. That's the way it goes. So you can do those things. You can be kind enough to encourage. You can tell your local representatives that you appreciate them. You can tell people in authority in your life, the boss, that you appreciate them. You can be bold enough to correct when we believe our representatives are wrong, we should let them know. We should let people in authority know what's going on in our head because if they don't know that we're not pleased, they'll never realize that people are displeased. We've got to let them know. We're not mind readers, and they're not mind readers. America is neither all good nor all bad. But if we were honest, we could see both. A, thirdly, a Christian must understand why God instituted government. Romans 13, 1-8, which I'm not going to read, but you should look it up, tells us the function of government as God intended was, first, to protect the citizen's life and property from danger within and without the country. Sometimes it feels like to me there's more danger from the inside than there is from the outside. Amen? Amen? All right. I just want to check. I'm just checking to make sure you're still with me. Next, to punish criminal activity. And third, to promote the general welfare of its citizens. No country, no political system, no government leader can or should provide every aspect of life from cradle to grave of its citizens. Government has limitations, and rightly so. The Constitution contains limitations on the government. Number four, remember the Christian's highest loyalty is to who? To the Lord. 
Our highest loyalty is to the Lord. We are truly citizens of heaven. We just haven't gotten home yet. But you've got a place up there. Jesus said it. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. You've got a mansion waiting for you. I wonder what your address is. I might want to come and visit. I might want to sponge a meal. Who knows? Abigail Adams was the wife of the second president, John Adams. She wrote this in November 1775. A patriot without religion is as great a paradox as an honest man without the fear of God. Can he be a patriot who by an openly vicious comment, conduct is undermining the very bounds of society? The scripture tells us righteousness, righteousness exalts a nation. And the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. Your righteousness and your righteousness and your righteousness and our righteousness together as a body lends itself to the, to the righteousness of the nation. When served with what was in effect a court order instructing the apostles to cease and desist in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, Acts 5.29. Now they told you, no more preaching. Shut up. We're going to threaten you. It wasn't the fiery furnace this time. It was jailing and maybe beheading. Acts 5.29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Do we have that kind of courage today? Do you? Do I, as your pastor, I'm only praying that when and if that day comes that I will be able to stand. They made their stand and they were jailed for their preaching. Eventually, all but one lost their lives for Christ's kingdom. None of them took the life of any others in their effort to reach the world for Christ. Now, there was a statue when we were in Rome, or not, I don't think it was Rome, we were in Italy, Albroignan, and it was a statue of the Apostle Bartholomew. And you know, Bartholomew was, uh, was flayed with knives. That doesn't, that doesn't really project it to you. Can I tell you what that means? He was skinned alive for his faith, and that statue represents that. Did you see the muscles and the sinew on the statue? Do you have that kind of courage, that kind of conviction? America is still a country of religious freedom, but there are dark clouds on the horizon. They are the clouds of secular intolerance of religion in the public square. The clouds are shaped by the decisions of judicial activists who erect and reinforce a fabricated wall of separation of church and state. It ain't real. It was made up. It ain't in there. The clouds grow dark as they are tainted by a moral relativism that makes life cheap, love tawdry, and speech rude, crude, profane, and vulgar. If Americans, by reason of apathy or choice, allow, it, allow its Judeo-Christian heritage, tradition, and icons to disappear, America will be the loser, and you will be the loser. You'll be the loser. History tells us a secular Godless America will be a heartless and soulless America. One more time. A secular, godless America will be a heartless and soulless America. You can count on it because it's happening all over the world. Alexis de Tocqueville was a famous French statesman. 
and historian and social philosopher. Beginning in 1831, he toured America for the purpose of observing the American people and their institutions. His two-part work was published in 1835 and 1840, entitled Democracy in America. Here's an excerpt, it's just one page. Here's what he said about America after his search. I sought for the king, I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school systems and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her Democrat Congress and her Democratic Congress. Make sure I got that. And in her matchless constitution, not until I went into the churches of America and heard their pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. America is great because America is good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. It's here in places like this back in those 1800 years, that he could see by virtue of those folks higher standards, higher moral desires to reach. He saw in that the testimony of Jesus Christ in the life of people. He said, you can never stop a country that has that. We're losing that, I'm sorry to say. So can Christians or should Christians be patriotic? Those who love and are loyal to their country Despite its flaws, despite its warts, despite the fact that it's made so many historical mistakes and errors and blunders and carelessness, for me, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And the reason for that is I could do nothing less. It's who I am in Christ, and it's who you are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our country again. We pray, Lord, that um, it will be able to live up to its Judeo-Christian foundation. We know it's losing. We know the foundations are cracking. We know you asked the question back in the Old Testament, what if the foundations be broken? Then what? Lord, we just put ourselves in your hands. I pray for this congregation, these people that you have called me to lead, to be pastor of, to shepherd. I pray, Father, that in this place, we may be able to speak freely and boldly. And in this place, we may be able to live out our faith so that when we leave this place, we'll be energized and on fire for the cause of Jesus Christ because there is no other cause so great as the cause for Christ and winning souls to him. Pray all these things this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen.